Well, good morning. You guys do not make it hard. As soon as y'all got quiet up, all right, I guess it's time to go. My goodness. Amen. It's, it's, it's amazing to see you guys here. Um, can't wait to get started. Um, as you know, we've been going through these guest speakers, and, and the first guest speaker, he talked about the joy of heaven. Um, when a believer comes to Christ, the amazing love that and the the atmosphere in heaven is just like a, it's like a party. It's a party in heaven every time a sinner repents and comes to Christ. And that's the love of the Father. The Father loves us. And so Pastor Bill kind of talked about those things and went through that. And we see how the angels adapted the same love that God has. Right, that God loves it when we come to him. And so the angels, they took on the heart of God as they spent time with him. They began to understand his heart and to know the joy that comes into his heart when we're saved. And so that was, that was our first topic. And then our next topic, we go through the evidence for the Bible. Right, we went through a bunch of different artifacts, a bunch of different things that point that the things in the Bible are real. And they're not just some fable that people made up as some kind of mythology story. You know, many skeptics and, and different types of people, they want to disprove it for whatever motivations they have. But they may not think it's true. They may not think it's reliable. But we see that the Bible is true and the Bible is real. Or at least there's good evidence to believe so. And so now that we, now that we have that, the evidence for the Bible, we know the heart of God um, as I was praying and thinking about what I would decide to talk about, decide to talk about faith. Because we can know something. We can intellectually receive something. But to put your faith into something. See, faith is something that works. That's the title of our message is Faith That Works. We'll be in Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27. Um, so if you guys could turn there um, as I pray and we get into this study. Father, thank you. Thank you for everything that you've done. We thank you for your love and the joy that you have, that you get to be reunited with your children because of what you did on the cross, Father. And the angels, how they're celebrating because it's a big thing. It's a miracle that our lives get rejuvenated. Without you, it's not possible. So we thank you for that. We thank you that you decided to take those words and to, to hand deliver it to us, that the, that the finger of God was on your people and that you, you gave us something to look at, to remind us of you, to learn about you, to instruct us, to guide us, to build us up. We thank you for your trustworthiness that you're reliable and that you're worthy of our faith and you're worthy of our hearts. So, Father, as we get into this message, Father, I pray that you will be with me, that your, your spirit would do a wonderful work in this place all throughout uh, the different ministries that's going on. But, Father, I just pray that you would speak through me, that, that you would increase and that I would decrease. And, Father, we pray for a timely word that, that your people would be encouraged, that they would be built up and that they would be invigorated, Father that they would have a faith that works. 
So we love you, Lord. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So starting off in, in, in Matthew, I guess this study will start off in Matthew 5, but it'll be a very quick overview. So we're not gonna we're not gonna get into all that. But basically, where we're at now is kind of the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount starts off chapter 5. It basically gives, it changes what people thought in that day. A lot of people thought that the rich were blessed. He said, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble. It's an entire, he flips the theory of the world on its head. The theory of the religious people at the time, he flips that and say, all the things you thought you knew, they're not. So he flips that on his head. And then he says, he moves on to chapter 6, and this is where, he looks at some of the things that the Pharisees were doing or some of the religious teachings that they thought was there. And he says, hey, you, you've heard it this way, but really it's this way. And you've, heard, you've heard to do this and you've heard that this is how it works, but really, no, it's this way. Then he goes on, do not be anxious. You see a lot of do nots, do not. They do it this way, but do not do that. And then we get into chapter 7. Chapter 7, Jesus starts to walk through positive examples. Hey, when you do this, do it like this. Hey, you should walk through this gate and not the other gate. Hey, you should do this. You should do this. And so we're seeing a lot of what Jesus tells us to do. Chapter 5, reversing what we thought. Chapter 6, hey, do not do these things. Chapter 7, hey, let's start doing these things. And that's where we find ourselves in this study and, uh, and this chapter, or this, this passage is, is an amazing one, and it, it can be confusing. I'm going to just let you know, it's, it's one of those weird passages where people can take this thing out of context and try and, try and flip it and try to tell you something that's not true. Um, but we'll look into it. And um, this is something that I've had, that I personally had to deal with um, in my life. And so as, as we continue getting through the study, we'll see exactly what I mean by that. And so let's just jump right into it. And so verse 24 Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, it says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, this is Jesus speaking. And I think the first thing we want to look at is everyone who hear these words of mine. See, when we talk about the words of Christ, we talk about the words of God. We have them here. You see, it's not just the red letters. There's a lot of people going, oh, well, Jesus didn't say that. Jesus didn't say that. Well, is Jesus God? Yes, then Jesus did address it. There's a lot of topics people want to try and skip over because they don't see it in red letters. But if it's in this book, it's the same God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God, three different persons. That's what we believe in the Trinity. They have different roles. They do different things. But they are, they are of the same nature. It is God. You see, God worked alongside humanity to create infallible scriptures. See, a lot of times people also want to attack the Bible by saying, oh, well, it's just a man writing something. Like, oh, how can a man write something that's, that's perfect, that's holy? And I'll tell you this, it's not alone. See, in, 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 2, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 
chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, it says this. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman, that the person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. See, the scripture is God-breathed. That's what it means by inspired. It is God-breathed, God-inspired. The Holy Spirit came upon men and worked alongside them to write this. And this is an amazing thing because Jesus, Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, works alongside us to do godly things as well. See, obviously man is flawed. But how many times has he used imperfect things to do eternally valuable and perfect things, complete things? And I'll give you a couple examples. This week, there's a lot going on um, in my life. Personally, nothing like super major, but, you know, things that, you know, just didn't sit right with me. A lot of spiritual warfare as I was trying to um, bring this message in. I remember I was at the gym, I'm squatting, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to work this thing out. And uh, I get down there, get a little too low or something, and I hurt my back. Right. I'm 23 going on 50, right, Got the, starting to get the back pains, right. And, and you know, I decide, you know what, I'm going to just go home, I'm not going to make this any worse for myself. So I go home, and I start to lay down, and I probably should have iced up, but I didn't. You know, I was relying on prayer. But... I get down and then my, my cousin calls me, my cousin Tony. He's been such an influential person in my life. And he, he calls me, he's like, hey, I've been sensing there's some spiritual warfare going on and this and that. And I'm like, bro, get out of my head. It was crazy. But the way that God used an imperfect man, he would tell you he's a sinner. And the Bible would tell you he's a sinner. I see God used him. And he was obedient to follow up on that. And he has no idea the encouragement that that gave me. The beginning of my week, I'm kind of feeling down, feeling sluggish. You know, work is different than expected. I'm, I'm trying harder than I usually am. And, and then I'm trying to work out, trying to work out my problems, doing things on my own. And then I just like, oh, wow. I get hurt when I do things alone. <laughs> and he came alongside me. And he prayed for me. Another great example is my wife, Chloe. She's looking down because she's embarrassed. But, um, you know, my day started off yesterday. You know, I go to the gym, work out, whatever, nothing, nothing crazy. And um, I come back. There's this little note. She's so cute. She writes this little note for me. And, you know, I, I took all day to read it because I wanted to go to bed extremely happy. And so I read this thing, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, the encouragement. She has no idea how much her words have impacted me, how much the love that she shares fills my heart with joy. What a beautiful gesture. And she may have had no idea how much that impacted me, how much that spurs me on, how much that keeps me going. See, God was using her in that way. And I can tell you personally, no, I can tell you personally, Chloe ain't perfect. But God uses her. And she loves God and she's, she's willing to be used. 
she does these things. And the last one, I always give this man some slack. I always, I, apparently I've never used him as a good example um, in my lesson. So here, here's one for you, Dad. Usually I call, I, I talk with my dads on Thursdays and we have this call and he was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna let you study. He calls me anyways. And, um, and we're, we're talking and at the end of the call, he's like, hey, let me pray for you. And sometimes I feel like we can get callous to prayer. It's like, oh yeah, let's pray. Like my problems are really that big. But no, he, he prays for me. And as he's praying, hearing the words that's coming from his mouth, the words that just comfort me. Words that were uplifting me, words that were encouraging me. And again, personal experience. My dad isn't perfect. I had to throw one out there for you, dad. My dad's not perfect. But he's used by God. And I would imagine you have someone in your life who's been such an encouragement to you, who's loved on you in a moment where you needed it. See, God, God can use you. He wants to use you. So obviously man is flawed, but we see that God's word is true. And God uses these men, who are the 40-odd men who wrote the Bible, and it's, God's, it's God inspired. And much like them, we are inspired by God now. That his spirit lives inside of us to help us, to urge us to do those things which are good, which build up, which encourage. And how much of encouragement is God's word? Right? It pierces our souls. It, it's like... It's like we're reading a book and then the book reads us and we're like, oh, wow, I didn't realize. See, what an amazing gift it is to have the spirit of God upon us. Our helper. And so we can trust the Bible. We really can trust the Bible because God's moving in amazing ways in our lives and much more back then. He was doing it all the same. Okay, so now we got through that. We got through hears these words of mine, right? That's God's word. That's us listening to the word. God inspired these men, these imperfect men, to write down something that's infallible, something that we go to, something that when something feels off, something feels wrong, we go to this and we see, okay, what does the Bible say, right? Something that we can look to, something that we can glean from, something that will never be wrong. Imperfect man wrote it, but God's hand was on it hears of these words of mine. And then the next thing he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. So next thing we see this person, this person who's wise, who built their house on a rock, they heard the words of God. But then that's paired up with and does them. Hears it, does it. See, we are actually called to do God's word. It's not just something that we read and we, we hear it, and then it's like, okay, cool, go on to my next thing. No, we are to actually do that thing. We're actually to walk out that Christian life. See, it's plain in Scripture. And just as I was studying, as I'm looking through, we look at verses like Romans 6, 12, Romans 12, 1, Galatians 5, 16, Ephesians 4, 17, Ephesians 5, 1, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1, James 1, 22. See, the Bible is clear. There's a clear call that God calls us to, 
stop doing the things that we are doing, stop doing those sinful things, and to turn around and to actually do the good things that God calls us to. What is this an image of? It's an image of repentance. It's an image of turning back from the way that we're going, changing our mind, kicking a complete 180, and now walking the other direction. Stop walking, turn around, start walking. The Bible is clear in this call. It's clearly a command of God. You see, what this is doing is this is allowing God to be not just our Savior, right? Because a lot of people, they think, oh, yeah, God's my Savior, you know. He's just my best friend, this and that, and, and that's true. God calls us friends. God is our Savior. He's the only way, the way, the truth, and the life. But see, we, we sang about it today. He was our Savior. He is our Savior, but he's also our King. He's also our Lord. He's also our Master. We've been bought with a price. See, we have an obligation to do the things that God calls us to do. See, there's a verse that says, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. God's not just a cute little lamb. Oh, you, you see the pictures of him. He's just stroking this little lamb, and it's so symbolic and cute. And it is symbolic, and it is cute, I guess. But see, our God is also the lion. He's also a lion of Judah. And he's going to come back as a king. And as James read this morning, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is what? That he's Lord. It's a both and. Yes, Jesus is our friend. Yes, Jesus loves us. Yes, Jesus came to save you. But Jesus also calls you to a life of obedience. Jesus also has bought you with the price. Jesus also will come back and every knee will bow. But that is our God. And you see, sometimes we think of saving, oh, yeah, now I'm free, right? I was chained to sin, and now I'm free. I can just do whatever I want because, hey, God saved me. See, that's simply not the case. What is freedom? Freedom from what exactly? Well, it's freedom from sin. It's the freedom to walk in the lifestyle, in the life that God has actually called us to live to. See, we're not just free from freedom's sakes. We're not just free just so we can do whatever I want. We are freed so that we can walk in our true purpose. And if we take a look at Exodus chapter 7, verse 16, we'll see um, this is the first time that Moses says this to Pharaoh. And, and God's kind of telling Moses what to do, what, what to say. And God's saying, and you shall say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you saying, let my people go, freedom from the sin, right, freedom from that old life, that free that they may serve me in the wilderness. They were freed for a purpose. They weren't free just so they could roam around the wilderness. They were free to serve God and to bring out the purpose that God had in their lives. And what was that purpose? We see it's to bring the Messiah into this world. That was the ultimate promise all the way back when Eve, hey, you're going to have a child, and he will crush the head of that serpent. He'll bruise his heel, but he will crush his head. 
that was always in line for Jesus, for Jesus to come, that he was always predicted. And what was needed for that was for them to be freed from Pharaoh, for them to be freed from Egypt, but not just to go wander around and do what they wanted to do. They had a purpose, and they were called to serve God. So as we wrap this up, we see there is wisdom in taking heed to what the Bible says about us and about how we ought to conduct ourselves in this lives. See, we should seek to follow what the Bible says because it's what God clearly commands us to do, right? Just in the, just in the fact that, hey, I'm a child of God. He's bought me with the price. I have this obligation. Just because, you know, God's called me to do it. And because I see him as my master, I'm going to do it regardless of what I think about it, regardless of how I feel about it. I'm going to do that thing because God has called me to do it. I'm going to be obedient in that. And so we do it because we just want to be obedient. We want to be good servants. We want to be good slaves to our master. But what, guess what? It's also what's best for us. And we'll see that as we continue to go throughout this study. The Bible clearly calls us to be obedient, and that is true wisdom. Now, so now we'll look at the result of that repentance that I talked about. We'll see the result of pursuing and following Jesus and his words. And we talked about this. We, we didn't talk about this rock. We saw the rock in, in, in verse 24, but now we'll actually start talking about the rock because we'll get a little bit more details on exactly how that rock functions and, and what it does. And so now if you go with me to Matthew uh, 7 verse 25 verse 25 it says and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock so I'm gonna start a little backwards in this verse and I'm gonna start with that rock the rock is Jesus this is pretty clear and then we see this all throughout we see it in in numbers when the, you saw that that symbolic rock that got struck by Moses even back then, it was a type because Jesus is our rock. But a little bit more clearly, we see in the New Testament in Acts verse 4, verses 10 through 11, it says, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. The builders which have become the cornerstone and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved see that Jesus is that rock Jesus is that foundation and you see the house was built on that foundation so Jesus is that foundation and regardless of what that house looks like regardless of how grand or how small whether it's a mansion whether it's a shed you see that that house is safe because it is founded on the rock. You see, the rock is the thing that this, this verse is focused about. And so we see here that that is all that matters. In, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 to 7, it says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, 
just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You see, we are rooted. We are established on Christ. And as we see, there's clear correlation between Christ and this rock. And again, there's a, I, I have this list, and I, I haven't made it available to you. Um, but there's this list of, of righteousness that we need to do. There's, I, I love some of these verses. In Matthew 12, 50, Matthew 21, 28, Matthew 15, 1 through 20, that's a bit of it, a longer one, but Luke 14, 27, John 14, 15, 1 John 1, 6, 1 John 2, 4, 1 John 3, 4, 1 John 3, 7, 1 John 3, 18, 1 John 4, 7, 1 John 4, 20, John 5, 2, 1 John 5, 18, and all the passages that talk about the fruits, you know, being, investigating those fruits, all those different passages, I just didn't feel like looking up and finding those ones. I was a bit lazy on that one. That's, my, that's on me. But we see all these verses that talk about if you love God, you will obey him. The things that you do show where you lie. It gives insight to the things that's within It's that, it's that same old line. It's that same old line that we talk about. Your actions speak louder than your words. If you want to know what someone, what someone thinks, if you want to know if someone cares, you'll see the way that they act. You'll look at the way that they treat you. You'll look at how they do things. And there lies the truth. See, Jesus isn't some... Jesus is some God that's just like, oh, yeah, you know, just do what you want. God doesn't want lip service. He doesn't want you talking about, you know, your faith and, and this and that and then not living it. He doesn't like that. That's what the Pharisees were. Everything outside looked beautiful, but on the inside, full of dead man's bones. Called them whitewashed tombs because on the outside, you're grand, you're beautiful, you talk a good talk. Everybody thinks you're so good, but what about your private life? What about the things that they can't see? What about the things that are inside? Full of dead man bones. Jesus demands that he is also our Lord. We can't just take Christ as our Savior. He's our Savior and our Lord. We have to hold this tension. It's something that the Bible clearly addresses. We're saved by grace through faith, not by works that no one may boast. But then on the other side it says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. See, we can't just let go of something because, oh, these aren't contradictions. These things are working together. And we'll see this in the verse in Romans 10, 9. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, the confession is a thing on the outside. The belief is a thing on the inside. These are two two different sides of the same coin. It's basically saying the same thing, just in different ways. One's a confession, a true confession. The other one is a true belief, something that starts on the inside but will work its way out. Now, we see that it, it, it says this. It says, the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it was founded on a rock. You see, the context about this house standing implies salvation. 
Now, a lot of people sometimes think that this is our trials in life, and, and there's definitely some application to that, and there definitely are some things that talk about that. But in my studies, as I continue to look at the context, as I continue to look at the passage, we see the last three passages immediately are talking about salvation. We see the narrow gate and the wide gate. We see the people who say, who call upon, Lord, Lord, who did this? And then it says, hey, depart from me, I never knew you. See, these, those are the verses that are directly above what we're reading, which gives me the thought and the context implies that this is actually about salvation, that this isn't just about a trial in your life. And we see this imagery of rains and flood, which brings us actually back to who? Noah, right? Noah in the Old Testament, when God judged the whole world. But back then, it wasn't a rock as a foundation. It was this ark, another beautiful type of our Lord and Savior Jesus, that we will be safe through the judgments of Christ. And this is, I believe this is another one of those imageries where it's saying, hey, God's going to judge. It's going to come. The rains are going to come. The wind's going to blow. The floods are going to come. But if you're on this rock, if you're in that ark, if your faith is in Christ, all meaning the same thing, you will be saved. You will be safe. The judgments won't affect you. You will stand strong. You will stand firm. Not because of the beauty of the house. Not because the grandeur of the house. Not because the wind couldn't blow over something that was so big. And as we see here, it actually gives us no details about the house whatsoever. There's no details about a house. It's just a house. This could be a studio apartment. This could be a 29-bedroom mega house that I'm going to buy one day. No, I'm kidding. This could be any of those things. It gives us no detail. See, in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 3, Paul's talking about, hey, he, he's talking about this foundation. And we see these similarities, right? We see a foundation or a rock in this story. And then with Paul, we see a foundation and a rock in his story. This foundation, it's laid as Jesus Christ. And in both these, they're, they're, they're rocking. They're correlating. It's like, okay, rock, foundation, rock, foundation. They're both meaning Jesus. Cool. We got that. That's squared away. But then in 1 Corinthians 3, it continues to go on. It says, hey, but what is, what is? is built on that foundation. Is it gold? Is it silver? Is it these precious metals? Are it these precious stones? Or is it wood? Is it hay? Is it straw? Is it dust? You see, in that parable, when it talks about judgment, and, and again, it is talking about judgment in 1 Corinthians 3, but in that one, it's talking about the rewards. It's not talking about just salvation. It's talking about the actual works that you do. See, the quality of the things that you build with, those will actually be evaluated in that judgment. But see, we don't see that here. Here we see there is a house. And we don't know much about that house. We don't know what it's made of. We don't know what these things are. We don't know how big it is, how small. We know none of that. All we know is that it is founded on the rock. And as we see, we'll, we'll continue to uh, look at these houses. But see here, we see that this is not works-based. This has nothing to do about your works. 
that that house is not your works. 1 Corinthians 3, absolutely. The, the, the things that was built up, those were the works. That's that was talking about. This isn't talking about that. The details of the house is not important. What's important is that the house is standing. And so sometimes people want to correlate those things, but I say, hey, let's, let's keep those aside. And so we see that this isn't talking about a works-based salvation. In James 2, verse 14, it says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? See, a lot of times people say, oh, if you don't work, then you can't be saved. See, that's not what the Bible here is talking about. James 2 is saying, hey, that faith that you have that doesn't produce works, is that true faith? That's what it's talking about. This is talking about the faith. Is that faith itself true, unadulterated faith? Or is it once again just the lip service where the works inside are dead, but outside the words that you say, you know, the way you look a certain way before men, right? You, and back in the day, they would wear the frontlets and, and they would pray these long prayers and they would want to be heard and they'd drop all their cash out trying to make a big noisy sound so everyone around would say, oh, that person's righteous. See, on the outside, everything looked good, but on the inside, again, it was dead. And here it's saying, hey, is that faith dead? Is that faith something that on the outside you hear about it and it sounds good and it talks good and it has the right knowledge, but is it alive? Can that faith, that dead faith save? See, that's what he was getting at. Again, the works giving the idea about the faith, not the works being the faith. See, that faith that doesn't produce works, especially over time, sometimes we don't get to know this, like the thief on the cross. He didn't have time to do any works. We don't know what it would have looked like, but we do know this, that he believed it. And Jesus said, hey, you will be with me. But see, as a believer, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, a helper, something that spurs us on along to do the right thing, something that is continuing to transform us, something that's continuing to be in our hearts and to convict us of those sins and to help us get back on the right path that, that will, you know, punish us if we do things wrong. He says, hey, if you're my child, I won't let you just continue to go on these things. The Holy Spirit gives us constructive criticism. The Holy Spirit will actually you know, chastises, might get a little swift kick in the butt, right? My parents were very good at chastising. I know what that's like, and spiritually I know what that's like. See, our actions speak louder than our words, and we see this again a little bit lower in James chapter 2. It says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have my works, what does that mean? They're saying, hey, my work's here. These works are good enough to get into heaven. You're talking about those works. Yeah, I have works, and my works is what, what spurs me along. My works is what makes me righteous. But James says, he says, no, you need faith. And he says, show me your faith. Because why? Because faith is the thing that saves us. 
by grace through faith. And so you can't just disregard faith, but you can't just disregard works. Again, we have to hold this, we have to hold this tension. It says, show me your faith apart from your works. So this person has works and is like, now show me your faith apart from your works. How do you show your faith apart from your works? That's the point. James is saying you can't. You have to hold these in tension. You have to hold these things together. You can't just say, oh, I have these works, but then I also have this faith. This faith that gets me part of the way and then my works get me the other way. James is saying, no, it doesn't work like that. He says, you, basically, what he's saying here, you can't show me your faith apart from your works. They are two different things. But he's saying, you can't just separate these things out. You have to hold them in tension. You can, you, sure, show me your faith apart from your works. He says, I will show you my faith by my works. The things I believe the things that I trust, the things that I put my trust in, the things that I have faith in. If that is true, I will be convicted to actually live that thing out. The things that I do reflect on the things that I believe. When we do this, when we live out the life that God has called us to, it shows that we believe the things that we say. See, so anyone can recite facts about God and say what they believe, and I've heard many of people do it. What does their life look like? And see, this is, it's funny because um, my wife, Chloe, right, she, she's probably gonna be embarrassed by this, but she loves back rubs. And now you all know, hey, she loves back rubs, but you don't understand how much she loves back rubs. You may know a fact about her, but you don't, you don't understand the look on her face when I start rubbing her neck. She'll just be doing homework, and next thing you know, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to get in good. I'm going to make her smile, you know. She's going she gonna to want to do all these nice things for me, selfish. No, but on a real note, she'll be... Um, She'll be doing some study, and I start rubbing her back, and she drops everything immediately. She'll be listening to uh, uh, a lesson, or she'll be writing something down. She'll be doing all these things, and immediately she just drops and just, her face kind of goes like, she does one of those, and she's just like enjoying this. Like, you don't understand. Husbands, rub your wife's back. Trust me. But see, you don't, you don't, you have to have a relationship with God. Oh, yeah, I know this fact about God, but are you spending time with God? Are you praying? Are you building up this rapport? Are you reading your scriptures? Are you entrusting yourself to him and doing the things that he says regardless of how it makes you feel? Because you know what? I trust you, God. I know you, God. I know your heart for me. I know your love for me. I know you will never lead me astray. I know you'll never leave me abandoned. I know you've got me right by your side. I know that you're holding me in your arms. You see, it's one thing to know about God, but it's another thing to experience God. 
See, that's what we, that's what we as believers need. To know Jesus, not just know about him, but to know him. And, and, and we talked about this, this intricate relationship with works and faith. And, and obviously it's, it's by faith alone, but a faith that works will actually produce works in our lives. But let this be a lesson to us. And let's actually get the message. See, this isn't something where we look out at other people and go, oh, well, your life looks like this and this and that. No, don't let this be something where we're, we're becoming other people's judges. Right? And when... When the world says, oh, you shouldn't judge as a Christian, they're half right. And this is the part that they're right on. We shouldn't condemn anyone. You're going to hell because I saw you do this and this, this, and this, and you're pointing out all the things. We are not to do that. That is a condemning judgment. That's a judgment that only God knows because only God knows the intent of the heart. You could have caught that person on a bad day. You could have caught that person when they were just out of their right mind. You could have caught that person after they've been tempted for a very long time. You don't know what that person is going through, but we cannot just be passing judgments willy-nilly. Oh, that person's going to hell. He's not a real Christian. Everything that they did is fake, all these different things. We cannot do that. We do not have the power. We do not have the insight. We do not have the wisdom. But you know what we do know? Well, you know what I kind of know? My own heart. See, you know if you believe in God's word. And you know if you're actually doing those things for God. And sometimes, I'll be honest, we don't even understand our own selves. We could be doing something and we think we have the right motive. And no, we don't. We were selfishly doing that. But you know what we do have? We have an advocate with the Father. We have a God who continues to work in us. We have a God who continues to work through us. We have a God who will never leave us or forsake us and who will continue to work with us through that. We have a God who we can pray to. God, just if you would help my desires, I don't even know what I want, but Father, help me to follow your word. Help me to follow you. Help me to chase you and not, not whatever comes about by me being a nice person. Help me not think about the benefits of helping this one person because, you know, I'm going to be nice so that they can owe me something. I'm going to be nice so that one day down the line they'll think about me and the niceness that I gave to them. But no, Lord, help me think about you and your grace and your mercy and your words. How you've spoken to me. How you've called me. How you've told me to do this thing. Help us look at our own selves. But see, obviously, there is a judgment where it's good and it's true and it's loving. Because, again, if our works truly are a testament or a proof of the faith that we have inside, if we do see a Christian going willy-nilly, acting out of their minds, right, and they're consistently doing this thing that, we, that we're like, hey, brother, you shouldn't be doing that. See, we, we aren't to be condemning judging. But we are to be fruit inspectors. And there's a reason that God called us to do that. He, he specifically tells us to do that. He says, hey, you will know them by the fruit that they bear. What is that telling us? Oh, I shouldn't. I shouldn't make this judgment and say, you are. I should say, hey, the way that you're acting is leading me to believe. Hey, I love you, brother. I care about you. And I just want to tell you, hey, God calls us to do this. And he calls us to stop doing this. And I'm afraid if you keep going down this path, this sin may lead to death. And I'm afraid if you keep doing these things, it's going to hurt you and your fellowship with God, which isn't good either. 
And so, hey, we aren't to condemn people, but we are to warn, to lovingly warn, warn. You see, it's actually a good thing that we help each other and that we hold each other accountable. That's actually a good thing that if someone's going astray, that we say, hey, brother, hey, let me, let me help you out. That we don't just leave people to their own devices doing their own thing. You see, that's why, we, that's why God calls us a body. Because we give cues, we help each other, we encourage each other, we uplift one another. When someone falls down, we're called to pick them up. See, we're all a part of this body. And we got to take this as a lesson, not to look at other people and say, is your life founded on a rock? But to look at ourselves and say, is my life founded on this rock? Have I truly made Jesus my foundation? Do I truly believe the words that I say? And again, sometimes that's hard, but that's where we just go, you know, God, I'm, I'm struggling. There's a lot of things within me. There's a lot of temptations that I'm facing. But God, help me. I truly want to follow you. I truly want to love you. And if you could just help this heart get in shape with what you've called me to do. And guess what? Our God will answer. And our God will hear. And our God will do, both to willing to work for his good pleasure. He wants us to be more like him. And he will help us in that. So apart from that foundation, guys, we have no hope. Our, has, our houses will go crumbling down in judgment. We see that we must be founded on that rock. That it's not our works. It's not anything else that holds us safe in that time of judgment, but it's only Jesus Christ. And we should also be sure to walk in his ways that that's where the wisdom is. See, now we, as we transition, now we'll look at the other end of the spectrum and we'll understand why this house actually went crashing down. Spoiler alert, the house goes crashing down. So now in Matthew, or in, in verse 26 and 27, we see, it says, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew, and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. See here, we're going back to, to a topic that we talked about before, but hearing his words and knowing them doesn't mean we have a relationship with them. It must be faith that cuts into our hearts. And see here, we have a perfect example of someone who knows the facts about God but doesn't necessarily listen to him. See, Satan and his demons. See, the devil knows about our God. The devil knows some scripture. Maybe he doesn't know the interpretation of all of them, but he definitely knows them, at least some of them. It says, you believe, in James 2, verse 19, it says, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You see, they, they believe, they understand, they know, but they don't take him as a Lord. They understand. They know good and well that God created everything. They know that they came from him. They know that everything is pointing to him. But what do they do? They serve their own selves. They don't commit to God as Lord. And they see themselves as Lord. 
See, we can't just work our way. We can't just think that we're going to work our way into heaven. Or sorry, my bad, but hearing, hearing those words, I'm going to go back to that topic. Hearing, hearing the words, that's not enough. It said, Jesus says, hey, these people heard the words. They know. They have an understanding. And we actually see this in Romans 1. It says all of creation is a testimony to who God is, his eternal power. Yet people take that revelation and they say, nah, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to go my own way. But see, there's also a flip side to that. See, here in this text, we see the person who hears the word and does not do them. So they understand, but they don't do them. I think right above we see another example, right? So someone who hears the word who doesn't do them. Then we'll see on the flip side someone who, who may hear the word and then may do the word, right? But it's apart from that relationship. So here I'm, I'm going to take a stab at proving, I'm going to take a stab at proving um, what I've been talking about. And so this isn't going to be on the this isn't going to be on the screen because it's just a, a, a passage above. It's literally verses 21 through 23. It says, "Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven." On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then Jesus says, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You know, in that passage, I think it's so funny because um, they don't just bring up their normal works. Oh, yeah, you know, I was nice to this and, and, and I followed you in that and I refrained from doing the thing that I wanted to do even... You see how they notice some of the big things, the glamorous things, the things that everyone would have seen, right? Everyone's so enthralled with miracles and seeing big things and want to see God write letters in the sky talking about I am he. Everybody wants to see the big miracles, and these people were doing the big miracles. See, they don't talk about refraining from their sin. They don't talk about withdrawing from the world. They don't talk about an actual repentance. What they talk about is look at the flashy things that I've done. Look at all the things that I've done. Look at all the great things that I've done. Look at the miracles that I've performed. Surely you had to be with me. And we knew about you and we talked about it in your name. We threw Jesus' name at the end of that prayer. I threw his name in there. I threw your name in there. What, what, what's happening? Jesus turns on, I never knew you. You did all these things. You were so enthralled with the power. You were so enthralled with the fact that people knew your name and the fame and the power, yet you never knew me. Yeah, you said my name. Yeah, you had the right theology. Yeah, you had all this. Yet what were the motives of your heart? They were for yourself. They were for your pleasure. And you never knew me. Regardless of how much our works align with what Jesus says, Without a relationship and a reliance on God for our salvation. You see, they, they built that house on themselves because their proof, their reason for trying to get into heaven was all these big fancy things. All these beautiful works that they had done. Truly, works do not earn or merit your salvation. We see that here because they throw the name on. It looks godly. 
It's these big, amazing things. But what was their proof? Their proof was that shaky foundation. Their proof wasn't the fact that, Jesus, I believe in you. You have died for my sin. I believed in your word. I followed your heart because you renewed me. You restored me. You made me a new creation. They don't point to that. They knew God's word. They knew I was supposed to be in Jesus' name. They worked all these miracles. They did these amazing works. But they chose to build their house on the sand. And I'm sure this house was glorious. Right? You talk about the big works. You talk about the mansions, the pool outside. They had everything. But see, when that... When the rain came, and when the wind blew, and when the floods came, they had no foundation. And we see this in, in Philippians 3, verses 8 through 9. This is Paul speaking, and, and he had just explained all the amazing things that he'd done. There's a verse where he says, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrew from the, tri from the tribe of Benjamin. He listed all these things, all these great things that he had done. Some he was responsible for, some he wasn't responsible for, right? Where, how he was born, who he was born through, he had no, he had no choice in that. But he, pretty, he probably would have known that at least the whole Torah from his head. I could barely remember I have dentist appointments. And this dude could remember everything. First five books of the, of the Bible, probably, most likely. And he had done all these things. He had shown a fervor, like just, a, just an excitement to do what he thought the Lord was calling him to do. Right? He's killing Christians on the road to Damascus. That's when his life changes and he, he decides to give his life to Christ. But see, this is what he says about that. He says, indeed, I count all those things that I talked about, I count them all as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. All the books of the Bible that I know, all the knowledge that I have, all the power that I've built up, all the miracles that I think I've done, all the people that I've helped with my exorcisms or all the whatever things the Pharisees would have been doing, whatever they would have been doing. He says, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, or that comes from my works, or that comes from my background, or that comes from my family, or that comes from my fill-in-the-blank, my notoriety, my money, my impact in the world. Not of my own that comes from whatever gives you, whatever makes you feel the most purposeful. It says, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on what? Faith. It's never about his works. He said, I count them as a loss. I want to be found on the foundation. I don't care if I have a mansion up there. I don't care if it's just me up there. All I know is that whatever's on that rock will stand. 
whatever is on that rock will stand. So as we as we've gone through this passage, we've seen this intimate relationships, the intimate relationship with faith and our works. See, let's not be people who are looking at other people's works and looking at other people's faith and, and trying to put together all these different things and look, oh, where's your house built on? We can't see that. We don't know that. We can look at the fruit, but we don't know about the root. But let us look at our own faith. Let us evaluate ourselves. See, where are we established? Where is our root? How are we built up? What is my foundation? Now, earlier, now that, now that we finished and we looked at both of these houses, the wise man and the foolish man, and hearing the words and not doing them, and hearing the words and doing them, and, oh, I built my life on the rock, I built my life on the sand. See, the one thing we haven't talked about is that house. Right? I briefly talked about what it is not. Right? It, 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 this doesn't talk about the quality. So, again, this isn't talking about the works that we have done. This isn't about works at all. This whole passage is just about the foundation. So what is the house? And again, I don't believe this is our works because the story doesn't care about the materials or the size. But the house in both stories basically could be identical. You see, the house is our lives. Where am I planted? Where did I decide to build? What am I placing my faith in? Where am I making my bed? Where am I going home to? Where is your life? Is it built on the rock? Or is it built on the sand? You see, again, I, I, I see this, the floods and the rain and the winds as judgment. This is God's judgment, and, and obviously, God judges us while we're on earth. He'll give us certain things and things of that nature. But ultimately, this is talking about that, that, that final judgment, that separation of the wheat and the tare, the goats and the sheep, that actual separation where we will spend our eternity. And see, for all of us in this room and everyone here in this message, for all of us, that time hasn't come. So maybe right now you realize my house is built on God. I've put my life there. Everything that I do is about God, and I think about him, and I pray to him, and I read his word. I want to know his heart. I want to know his ways. I want to be like him. You built your house on the rock. Continue to build. Continue to do what he's called you to do. Because he's not just your savior, he's your Lord. And you've probably understood that by now. So continue to build. Continue to become complete. Continue to look at his word to be built up. Continue to join fellowship with the saints as we encourage one another. Continue to fan that flame, to look into those gifts, to use those gifts to build up other people, to use those gifts to continue to give yourself confidence that God's working in you. Continue in that. Continue to build. Do not stop. 
But see, if you found yourself, maybe you find yourself knowing who Jesus is, knowing who God is, knowing of his death on the cross. But it hasn't changed you. You've heard these things, but you don't, you don't care about going to church and, and you don't care about changing the things that, that you know you see as sin and, and you don't care about God's word. You're never reading it and you, know, you don't feel like praying unless you really want something and you know, you're treating people bad and you're cheating and clawing your way to the top. You're worried about your money all the time and you spend more time in business meetings and doing all these things and and you care less about your word and your Bible, where's your house built on? Or maybe you have heard these words and you're following it. You're saying, I wanna look good, I wanna be good, I wanna be fly, I want people to know these things about me. I want people to understand who I am. I want to have power and notoriety in this world. I want to make a, I want to be the change that people see. I want to make a change in this way. And it's not tied to a relationship with God. And you don't care about Christ's name, but you care about your name. And, and, and you don't want to profess about your belief. You, you, you know it, but you don't want to profess it in front of people. And when you put up a new building, you want, to, you want to see your name all bright and shiny. And when you write a book, you want to see your name all bright and shiny. And when you do these things, you want to make sure that you get the credit. You want to make sure you get the plaque. But God isn't, God isn't the thing that's driving you. And God isn't the thing that you're worried about. Where is your life built? Where have you been building your house? Where are you going home to every night? Are you prepared to meet your maker? Because 10 out of 10 people still die. I don't know if you knew that. It's a remarkable fact. 10 out of 10 people still die. It could happen when we leave this building. It could happen 40 years from now. I don't know, but where will you found your house built? The Lord said, today is the day of salvation. Choose this day who you will serve, because you can't straddle the fence. If you're on the fence, you ain't made it. Choose to build your life on the foundation, amen? Father, I thank you for this day. thank you for this time and I thank you for this message. It's something that I've had to deal with in my life. Lord, there's been many a times where I've been worried about my own ego. I've been worried about my own, my own things, my own athletics, my own life, my own relationships. And Father, I didn't, I didn't care what you thought. And I didn't care what you said, but I, I knew your word, but I didn't commit to you. And I knew your word, but I didn't know you. So, Father, I pray if that's anyone today, Father, that you would help them, that you would invite them, that you would lovingly wrap your arms around them and say, I'm here, and let them know that they can know you too. Father, I pray that as your saints, we would, we would be people who not only see you as Savior, but see you as Lord, that we recognize the price that you paid for us that we recognize your redeeming grace, that we know that you are the only way to salvation, that we put our complete trust in you, 
and that we look nowhere else, not of our own works, not to any other deed, not to nothing, but that we look only towards you, Father. Father, help us continue to build, that we wouldn't be stagnant, that we would love you with our whole hearts and that we would follow you, that we would truly be disciples. Father, we thank you for filling this place and we pray that you would just remain in our hearts. Continue to help us, continue to shape us. We need you. We love you. Help us hold that tension in our lives, Father. Thank you for everything that you've done and thank you for everything that you'll continue doing. We love you, Lord. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer, uh, I'd love to pray with you. I know Pastor Chris would love to pray for you and looks like we have Samika and Jason coming up and if there's anything that you need prayer for, just please come forward. We would love to pray with you. We would love to talk with you. Um, continue to invite you to come to meet our God. And if you've already met with them, to continue to walk with them. Continue to cherish them. Continue to love them. Continue to obey them. Amen. <laughs>